Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is hey, and this is Anthony, and this is episode four hundred and forty, most popular defunct TCGs and CCGs. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are talking about the mega mega games out there that collected all of our interests. And 99% of the time, all of our money. We are talking about the CCGs, the TCGs, those card games that were so big that they became bigger than the industry itself. And, of course, they fell down and go boom, Anthony. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, this probably applies to every single TCG and CCG that isn't Magic, Pokemon, or Yu-Gi-Oh! for the last 25, (laughs) 35 years. Sure. But... There's a few of them that kind of stand out as games that some of them were successful for a, a period of time, like maybe five, six, seven, eight years, and then fell apart for whatever reason. Some of them seemed like they should be successful and then fell apart for whatever reason. And other ones were never successful. But you looked at it and you're like, well, that should work on paper. And it just didn't. So we're going to go through what these games were, why they failed, in our opinion. And... uh you know, there's there's no particular reason why we're doing this. There's no other games coming out right now that <laughs> are making everybody lose their mind that we might compare these two. I don't know. I don't know. It can't be anything anything mouse related. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine at all there be something out there like that. But, you know, what's really interesting about this. I've engaged in some of these card games. But I was never a card gamer. Like, I was never a CCG person or a TCG person. But being that there are so many IP-related versions of these, these have always intrigued me. Because I think for publishers, board game companies out there, this is like the holy grail. This is like the 
the biggest possible win of all time if you could take your IPs and translate it into an infinitely producing money card game that is played everywhere by everyone and there's a secondary market and it's beanie babies all over again you know it's it's just like it's the talk of the town it's the toast of the town it's it's literally everything it is out there so i i think it's it's a, such an intriguing idea and concept and i know that like we've seen this a lot of times with board games too where they they try to go the other way right so you have a board game they're like hey if we can make a ccg out of this we'll make all the money or if we can make a miniatures game out of this, we'll make all the money. And there's been as many failures, I think, on that end, too. So this one is about all the things that have happened, <laughs> whether or not. It, all the lessons not learned. Let's put it that way. It's it's You know what it is, though? It is there are two brands that are worth a billion dollars. Per Board game is not. This is one of oh, them. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, okay. uh-huh. I'm sorry. There's three brands that are worth a billion dollars. <laughs> And everybody wants in on that. The problem is that you can't just get in on that. It takes so much support. It takes decades (laughs) to build up the support to get there. Magic the Gathering jumped from 440 million a year to 1.06 billion in 2022 in gross sales. Pokemon made 1.6 billion in sales in 2022. No one else is even remotely close to those numbers, and they never yeah. will be, right? No, nope. you've got Magic, which is the OG that apply. You know, everybody's interested in that from like age nine to infinity, and you got Pokemon, which is a game that's perfectly fitted for children and is built into this brand cycle every three years with the new video games. I, you're not going to be able to replicate that, and a lot of these companies, and we'll get to it later. They launch a game, they expect to reach that level, and when they don't, mm-hmm. if they only reach $100 million, they're like, well, that's not good sure. enough, let's axe the game. And it just keeps happening over and over again. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Lorcana. What? But it's going. Who? It's probably going to happen to Lorcana. I don't, I don't see <laughs> No game makes it. They just don't make it. Unless you have low expectations, reasonable expectations, you're just not going to make it to that level. Yeah, so we have a lot of discussion, as you can hear about that coming up. But Anthony Lorcana? Lorcana. Lorcana, right? Lorcana. Lorcana. Yeah, I actually found some Lorcana cards. I bought them. So. Ooh. <laughs> um I was at Barnes and Noble buying a gift for a friend and I was checking out and I saw behind the desk that they had starter decks. And I was like, oh, these are sold out literally everywhere in the universe. I should buy yes. these and I will play them and I will report back to the podcast. Um this was yesterday so i have not played them Mm -hmm. yet my kids are out of town right now but when they get back we're going to play this game i'm going to come back next week i'm going to tell you all what i think um i'm sure it will be it's fine but we'll see yeah or it can be it's the greatest game ever now your kids college funds are gone because you're picking up jasmine and genie and mickey and all those other characters that's true but as long as all these (laughs) crazy scalpers keep going nuts over these things where am I going to find them to be able to do that? So That's true. Well, if there's no podcast next week, you know what happened to Anthony. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'll be like, well, Anthony? He's like, I gotta get some more iconic cards. I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. It's happening! <laughs> <laughs> no, there's been a lot of, there's been infinite amounts of crazy news because the cards got to the big box stores and obviously have gotten bought out and 
you know, the secondary market is exploding and same thing with Disneyland and all those other stuff out there too. So again, I'm interested to hear your review if the system, if the mechanics are good for this game, because there's obviously endless number of Disney fans and endless numbers of Disney adults. Will they get into this? Will this be like a wingspan situation where there is an outside group of people that are, you know, key or geared into a, a a game that we're really into and we'll jump on board. Like we just couldn't account for like bird watchers. I, Who knew? Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> the weird thing though, is like, I feel like TCGs, CCGs, they survive on the weird balance between people who collect and people who play because people who collect will buy anything on the secondary market, which feeds into a primary market buying the cards to resell and people who yeah. will play go to the game stores and buy the cards on a regular basis that's why pokemon's so effective it's because kids will go buy those cards constantly and packs are not efficient way to get cards sure does disney lorcana needs to tap into that play market it's got the collectors down that's not a problem sure. but like are there enough people to play it i don't know yeah, again, I think it's it's hard because I think there's so many more Disney collectors because Disney. Right. That just the collectors alone might carry that market maybe forever. It just cuz look, look what look what Disney Plus is doing, right? Like everything is re-released and live action and their IPs are massive and eventually they'll pull Star Wars back in. Yeah. You know, you have the Muppets, you have like you have a lot of interesting, you have Marvel. Disney owns Marvel. <laughs> like you know, it's just, uh, it, it can go on forever. So, yeah, I mean, again, lots of fun stuff to talk about. Hopefully you're surviving the Lorcana chaos. <laughs> and uh, keep your heads down, kids. That's all I'm saying. Yep. But, Anthony, turns out, surprisingly enough, Lorcana cards are not the only cards that everyone wants. I can't believe that's the thing I'm actually saying. Yep. Turns out people will go to extreme lengths to get cards that are not Lorcana cards. What, what's going <laughs> on with this world? Yeah, it's nuts. It's almost like somebody would risk the... 20 years in jail to steal a bunch of magic cards what what is this magic thing i only know about larcata okay yeah. what what well, remember again <laughs> magic magic's up there on the top of that list uh, the is. billion dollar brand it's hasbro's first billion dollar brand which is crazy hasbro a company that's been around for like 100 years anyways yes. uh they found the cards <laughs> that's that's where we're at now so uh, the update on the the long-running saga of the stolen $300,000 in magic cards from Gen Con. The Indiana police found said cards. Quote, a lot of air quotes here. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, like, they haven't arrested them yet, so you can't say, like, these people did it, or they've been accused of doing it. It's like, uh, potentially they maybe did it, I don't know, but they found the cards, maybe, probably, I don't know. They, I mean, whoever they, whoever the, the criminals may be, and and however they may have been videotaped and photographed, 35 different times wearing very identifiable clothing and no masks and everything else. Somehow they surrendered slash gave back the stuff they took. I mean, I, I mean, again, I'm sure a lot of lawyers are involved. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, again, white collar crimes, people doesn't, you know, SWAT teams are not coming after you for some reason. Other things. Yes. Not this for some reason. <laughs> it's not even white collar. This is, this is a, this is how much is it? Grand theft, larceny, whatever. Like this is a felony, well, right? Three hundred thousand. I don't know. It depends on what land type is it, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
it a black deck? Is it a white deck? Is it a green? Right? I don't know. It's, I don't know. Depends. It's... I, I would love to see this actually go to court and then he, the jury having to listen <laughs> <I> to, <know. laughs> like, what is this magic thing again? They they stole magic? Come on, people. That's not a thing. It's, like, yeah, let's let them off. A bunch of elderly Indiana residents being like, <laughs> I don't understand what it is you stole, though. How is a piece of cardboard worth $300,000? Like, no, 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 no. It was a hundred thousand pieces of cardboard worth of three hundred thousand dollars. Like, yes, mm, it still doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, I just don't like the idea that they stole magic. Let's just say magic. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, <laughs> that's crazy. So, but yeah, I mean, our our stuff is starting to hit there. You know, like when people start stealing large chunks of it, right? Then you know that you really made it, right? Like then you know, like, ah, look, we're worth robbing. See, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. that's a, that's the thing that we're doing. So. But that's not the only thing, Anthony. I, I I I'm surprised to report, and I know that you're a fan. Uh, One Piece is on Netflix. How did that happen? I don't know. I thought this was going to be terrible. Have you watched it yet? I have not watched it because I know a lot about One Piece from watching endless clips that are shot at me through TikTok and everything else. Fair. So I I could probably tell you a lot about it, never having watched the anime or read the manga, but. I've heard it looks good. I'm surprised. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying these words out loud. I, I have watched enough of the anime to know everything that's in this series. Okay. Uh, I've watched about 200 episodes. This goes through like 100-ish of those episodes. And what I've seen so far, I've not watched all eight episodes, but the first three I've seen, it's actually pretty good. And I did not expect that. Wow. Because okay. it's it doesn't seem like something that would translate to live action particularly well it seems like it would be <laughs> cheap and plastic and <laughs> rubbery um yeah that's what you did there but it, it you know the thing that makes one piece such a good show and manga is that the characters are very compelling the relationships between mm-hmm. those characters are very compelling and they managed to capture that not fully because they do have to condense a lot but pretty well considering how much they're condensing and the casting was really good like yeah all these characters are very well cast which is another thing where i was very surprised they managed to pull off because they're all over the top and yet they all managed to find people who can be over the top in a realistic relatable way so i've i've kind of fallen down that one piece well in the last year and a half two years and i I was very excited to see this so it was funny though because i was i've been catching bits and pieces of the reviews that have been coming out because again, Netflix is just famous for like putting stuff out and then canceling. Oh, things. they're going to cancel this. There's no way. It's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> that they've ever even considered adapting. Like, you couldn't get through two seasons of Cowboy Bebop, but you think you're going to do like 15 seasons of One Piece? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And it's just funny because a lot of the review people don't know anything about, you know, the anime and they're just, or the, you know, any of the content. Then you're like, Oh, it's like Game of Thrones. It it has a lot of books. I'm like, oh my god, you have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, they're like, hopefully they can keep up. I'm just like, no, no, they're fine. Yeah, they're yeah, fine. Yeah. They're fine. Like, maybe in four or five years when it wraps up, but like, they they're fine. Trust me, they're. Fine. I don't know anything about it, but it, the only thing I know about One Piece is it's it's got a lot. So you're yeah, fine. Yeah. You've got 26 years of books to to catch up to. You're good. You're good. If if Netflix have- if Netflix completed this. Okay, first off, they won't. But if they did, then I would have a lot more people to talk to because everybody would know about One Piece. Sure. 
and again, I, I just don't like certain elements of the artwork, to be honest. Like it, it, I wanted to kind of engage with it and it was like, there's just some stuff I just like, I can't, it, it just, it's, it's, it grows it on you back, I guess. But again, this is somewhat of a, somewhat of a realistic take because it has to be right. So this might work really well for me, like to absorb the story and not have to be pushed back from like the animation style. So yeah, again, if they could stick with it, if it did get good enough ratings, it would be a, uh, I mean, almost like a winner for them for like what, 10, 10 years. I mean, they could, it could be, I mean, if they can get three seasons out of this, I'd be happy because the second season sure. would be Alabasta. And then you get, you're in the full, fully in the grand line from there on. I think that could be really interesting and fun. There's a lot of really cool stuff that happens in there and new characters come in that I really like. Um, but there's no way we get like into the later arcs of the show. Mm. Like it's just Netflix doesn't do anything that long. And this show looks <laughs> kind of expensive. It really looks yeah. really expensive, which is cool. It's what makes it all work. But I thought the Luffy effects were going to be terrible. And I'm like, it's actually pretty good, which means this costs a lot of money. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, and again, I was surprised IGN kind of panned it. Yeah, like, that was the first review I saw, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's not good, and then it's, I, I watched it, and I was like, no, I like it, and all the other reviews I've seen were, like, fine to good. Alright, cool. So that's something to definitely check out on Netflix, and it's always good to support, it's always good to check it out, you know, at least catch one episode to see if you're interested. I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out, and I hope it's good. Like, variable success, but they've gotten better. Netflix has gotten better over time, so... Sure. I appreciate the effort to make this because they could use a winner. They could certainly because I have Netflix and I don't know why I have it because there's nothing really good on it generally. So, hey, they pulled off Sandman. Oh, they did. I love Sandman, yeah. but Sandman has not come back yet. So, I'm... The, but it, well, strikes. Everybody's on strike. Yeah, that's true. Too. Uh, but that is like the one thing where I'm like, they can't pull that off. And then they did. And then, then I said, there's no way they can pull off one piece. And I'm like, I think they maybe they did. They're, so, they're doing better. Yeah, I give them credit give them a lot of credit so i mean i can't give them credit because they're not doing right by the actors right now so no credit we stand with the unions right we're yeah yeah. well we're not giving netflix credit all they did was pay for it we're giving the creative people who made one piece credit that's right who are now on strike good for them that's right support the unions wherever they are that's a good thing yes so all right so that's what's going on in the world Let's get on to the things that's going on with our listeners and our friends out there. Anthony, what's our question of the week? All right. Question of the week this week is, what's your favorite game to play in public? Malls, restaurants, game cafes, etc. And why? So mm. we've all done it. We've either gotten together as, you know, a meetup, a mall food court or a Panera or wherever. And we played games around non-gamers, quote unquote. So, oh, no. So... <laughs> What what games are best or that you feel most comfortable playing around all the non-gamers out there? Uh, mm. Personally, I, I don't care. I'll play whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was more interested in what other people have to say. Uh, Drew says exit games. Fantastic one mm. to two hour disposable experiences. Food or drink spills on it. No worries. It's headed for the trash when you're done anyway. Sure. Uh, Ryan says I don't often play in public, but if I do... Uh, Numbsters from Buttonshy Games. You generally play all of it in your hand aside from the remainder of the deck. It's fun and interesting decisions in a short playtime. 
I like dumpsters. I gave it a play. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Any game you sure. can play like with one hand. And in this case, Ryan's interpreting this purely as like solo games that you would play alone in public. Sure. Gotcha. Uh, Adrian says, um, at a women's retreat that was taking place in a hotel, I brought six nymphs in case we had a break between sessions and someone in our group would be interested in learning a new card game. Uh, none of these gals are gamers. One gal was interested and there were tables in an area that had a bar, but I wouldn't really describe it as a bar since it was light, bright, and airy. We did a f- get a few people glancing over. Given the opportunity, I'd do it again. So, nice. That's good. Uh, and Laudry says, I've enjoyed playing Scythe in public. Oh, so bold. Other end of the spectrum. Um, <laughs> so, such a yeah. fantastic table presence. It always gets noticed by other people. Uh, so that's from our Patreon backers over on Facebook. We had a few more answers. David says point salad, just a deck of cards. And the scoring is always different. Um, mm-hmm. Joe mentions love letter and handsome from button shy, uh, our restaurant games that they enjoy. Uh, Scott goes a completely different direction. Says clank legacy at a local brewery. Uh, but so many people stop and ask what is going on, it gets hard to finish at times. So <laughs> get you get distracted. So uh, I I think it's kind of the two directions here, it sounds like, is yeah. I don't want people to pay attention. I want something to be small and out of the way. Or I want the biggest, most ridiculous thing I can get to the table That's it. so that everybody yeah. sees it and asks what's going on. Exactly. Like, Everdale was always that for me. Oh, okay. My game group in uh, Pittsburgh, for a while, we met up at a local coffee shop, and I would always be amused when I'd set up Everdell because people would come over and be like, what's up with the tree? What's going on here? <laughs> this That's big 3D great. tree on the table. It's like, Obviously, you're all playing board games, but like, what's going on there? Um, if I'm in like, an airport or something, though, like card games, small card games, small table presence, people, they could think you're playing solitaire or magic or whatever. And they're not really going to ask or check. Hmm. I I guess for me, there's two answers here. Well, I guess there's three, maybe. So, like, if I don't know where I'm going, and I need to bring something that's going to stand up to any situation, uh, it's going to be the Duke. Mm. Small board, Good. solid wooden pieces, and the instructions are actually on the pieces, and then you have a draw bag that holds your pieces, which need to stay in the draw bag. Mm-hmm. So, the the footprint for this is super tiny and the those wooden chunky pieces are like nearly indestructible as far as like dropping or spilling or whatever it might be but i agree with you i think we're a different breed which is we want to bring the most bombastic kind of game out there one of the funny stories i had was we were playing viticulture and the panera bread and this family came by and one of the little kids was like oh what's that mommy and the mom said that's Italian Monopoly. And I was like, sure, why not? Like, that's close <laughs> enough. We'll Italian take it. Monopoly, I love it. Yeah. So your, your frame of reference may vary, but I think, and and our friend Dave would always do something very smart because we used to, I think one of the places we used to go to was like a brewery in New Jersey. And he would always take the game box to cover and set it up next to the game board. So as people walked by, they knew what game it was. And then that would give them an opportunity to engage with us. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's brass. What's that? Mm -hmm. And then you could have that conversation. Whereas if the box is not up and available, people might not feel comfortable with kind of engaging. So I always do that, weirdly enough, even if it's at someone's house. I'm like, 
let's set up the game box because I know. know. Yeah, I was like, "What are you doing? Who are you showing off for?" You're like, "I uh, like, have it." You know, it's, it's it's the game box. We're doing this game. We should we should have the game box represented or something. I don't know. So yeah, that's fine. But yes, I I highly recommend bringing the most colorful super table presence possible because it always brings more people to the table. Yeah. All right. So that's everything that's happened to our friends out there. Thank you again for joining us. All of our social media is out there. But again, because of the social media wars, which continue to rage on Facebook tends to be the best surprisingly enough, or again, our Patreon account, patreon.com slash BGA, all the good stuff happening. Our discord channels up there. Please join us. A lot of fun happening. Love to hear from you. And again, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Board Gamers Anonymous got everything that you need. All of our social medias are way to reach out to us via email. Again, we would love to hear from you and what's going on with gaming. Any questions, comments? Again, you can also rate us online at whatever podcast you're doing that so that other people can find us. Anthony, let's talk about the games that we want to talk about, the games that we want to tape, hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders this week. Alrighty, uh, so I'm going to be talking about a game that's on Kickstarter right now uh, from Keymaster Games called Harvest. Now, Harvest is not a new game. Uh, this is a re-implementation of a game from 2017 uh, that was published by Tasty Minstrel Games, which has sadly gone out of business in the last couple of years. So now we are getting the designers of those games getting the, the rights back to take the game to another publisher. Um, in this case, the designer Trey Chambers has taken it to Keymaster Games, uh, which most famously made Parks, which is a very well-regarded game about the National Park. Now, Trey mm-hmm. Chambers uh, has made several other, since then, larger, heavier games, including Argent the Consortium. I know, mm-hmm. Chris, you, you've yeah. played in like... I'm a fan. Uh, yeah. An Imperial Spells and Steam, which is like a, a magic version of a train pickup and deliver game. Uh, so. This is, you know, all new artwork, all new layouts, lots of new elements from what I can tell. Harvest, the original version of 2017, uh, was not the most big and sprawling game in the world. And it certainly wasn't the prettiest game. It was kind of a weird, it was tasty mineral artwork, right? Like there was a certain kind of look to it. Um, It didn't quite work for me. And mechanically, the game was fine. So this is a worker placement game in which you play a farmer. And you are trying to build the best farm, right? Uh, It has a pretty flat uh, graphic design in in this new version. Very, very orange. Like, so orange. So orange, it gives me, like, a feeling inside. (laughs) Like, from the orange. And I can't even, like, recognize what the feeling is. But every time I look at their their artwork, I'm like, okay, I I feel something here. Um, But one of the things that's most interesting about the game is that you're not just playing, you know, it's not like an Uwe Rosenberg farming game. It's a much lighter game. It's like 45 minutes to an hour and a half. You have asymmetrical powers as your farmer. So you can be the water wrangler, which is a frog, or the poop princess, which is a pig, um, or the handy bird, which is a woodpecker. Uh, and then your powers will kind of influence how you interact with the different uh, available abilities and how you build out your farm. Uh, there's a solo mode that's kind of been uh, augmented into the game and a bunch of additional stuff and upgrades that they've added. So there's new character cards, they have animeeples and buttons. Buttons. Um, and just overall, like, production quality looks really nice and high quality. And Keymaster Games has always done a pretty good job of this. 
this is i feel like them kind of leveling that up a little bit though because their previous games were a little bit lighter a little bit smaller but like caper and parks and the expansion for parks these are like 30 40 50 games pretty straightforward harvest is a bigger game and they're going for broke here right you're getting like screen printed wooden crop tokens and premium metal coins in the shapes of acorns and mushrooms and like inserts to keep all your stuff organized and play mats and all this stuff and a meeple packs with screen printing on them with the buttons involved so the game if you want all the fancy extra stuff is 150 dollars which and it's 59 for retail which is probably normal i don't know we'll see what the shipping is the 150 for all the fancy extra stuff (laughs) having played harvest and again they've made updates they've made changes they made tweaks to the rules so maybe it's amazing now but the original version of this game was fine (laughs) sure it's a 7.1 on bgg and i'm like yeah it seems about right maybe a little lower i don't I don't love it. It's there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like a very there worker placement game. So I don't think I'll back this because the prices are, are just too high, but it is very cute. I love the aesthetic. I like the stuff they've added. I just wish I knew how it played differently. If it plays differently, right? Like where the changes are. And they've outlined a few of them, but like I don't see anything on this page that really kind of walks me through what that is, right? Like you go into these pages sometimes, you get videos from the publisher, you get videos from influencers that they've paid to make videos, whatever it is. In this case, they've got like their Dice Tower video that they've paid for and, and like one other video. And it's just like, I don't, I'm not really getting a good sense of what's different here or why I would want to buy this. If I could just go get the old version for like 15 bucks. Yeah. So. If you love the old version, then this is probably exciting for you. Um, I think what's telling here is that only 63 people have backed the super version. Yeah. Uh, And they honestly don't have a ton of backers overall. They're, you know, the the early bird stuff is kind of up. Okay, I have to correct that a little bit. They did early birds. The early bird backers, there's like 700 or so on the fancy version, but still like less than a third of total backers absolutely so anyways that's harvest that orange i don't know what it is man the orange cover is like doing something to my soul but (laughs) it's so much orange (laughs) um but i was immediately captivated and i would i want this game and i just i can't pay that much money it's so much money and like it's crazy how much less you get for the 59 i'm like i can't you know i would at least need to spend the 90 and then i'm like 100 bucks for this game Nah. <laughs> so harvest friends uh if you got money to spare check it out i was surprised you put this on here because i did look through this and the gameplay just doesn't at all come close to living up to the price but i get it because this has some of the best components i've seen on kickstarter in quite some time uh the artwork, the graphic design look fine, but the components are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I almost, I, I mean, I wish that I could actually just purchase the components because yeah. the coins look great. The 
the the strawberries, the wheat, the blueberries, all the the bat, everything, all the components look great, and I could actually use those in other games. Not to mention the animeeple pack and stuff like that. So it makes a lot of sense. But I think I agree with you, and I think I think you pointed it out correctly. Is outside of again outside of the early bird situation, which is nonsensical. I don't. I actually active. I am actually get hostile about that. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a, I think it's a terribly unfair scheme to get people to back something that there is neither the time nor the consideration to like properly look through, hear reviews, you know, go through the rule books, maybe play some online version of it. And if you did not make that very tiny window, which is usually like less than twenty four hours, and we've we've talked about this with a lot of campaigns, now you feel like I'm I'm being penalized, right? It doesn't feel like an early bird. It feels like a penalty. Mm-hmm. If you, This is a campaign to support the production of a game that supposedly, air quotes, is not going to get produced without our support. Again, I'm not a child. I get it. I understand this kind of economy here. But since we're still operating under Kickstarter, you know, mission goals and something like that, I'm supporting you. Why are you penalizing me with $10, $20 more for the same game a day later of backing? You're still getting my money, and it's going to take two years. It's an investment that I'm making in you. I don't appreciate that. I just never appreciate that with any early bird. Not just this campaign, but any early bird. I just don't like it. I'm just not a not a fan. So when the retail version that's currently out has 26 backers, and you're like, well, that's terrible. Like, I appreciate that they put a retail generic kind of version so you could back it. Awesome. But the reason why you're backing this campaign is because the can't because the components are so good, and that is hundred and forty nine dollars. Like, it's like a it's like ninety dollars more for components for an okay game. Stop doing that. Come on. I understand people have money, and I support that. But like, I don't know, man. I just the, the numbers are getting crazy, and I I don't know. There's a bubble going on here, and I'm not an economist, so I'm probably misusing that word. But there's a bubble here. <laughs> I feel like we're close to breaking, where people are going to say, "You know what? Nope." I mean, honestly, like I love games. I've spent a ridiculous amount on games. I spent a ridiculous amount to upgrade games. I bought these upgraded versions, but you can't, in good faith, tell me. You just can't tell me that a ninety hundred dollar bump for components for this level of game is is warranted. It's 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 I I don't know. I just have a problem with it. I just yeah. I don't know. It's and then it's shipping and everything else on top of it. So I don't know. It's just it's a hard pass for me for for several reasons. Oh yeah, I'm not buying this either. This was this is no. this literally falls in this in the category of. Oh, this looks cool. Oh, I, I kind of think yeah, I would yeah. be interested in this. And then you look at the price, you're like, ha, 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 no. <laughs> well, Anthony, I got one for you because nostalgia bait, my friend, nostalgia bait. So if you're a kid of a certain age back in a certain day, there was a video game called Worms. <laughs> and it was fun. If you If you know about Worms, the video game, I don't have to say anything more to you. If you don't know about Worms, the video game, you're more than likely not going to have any interest in the fact that now there's worms trademark. And they actually put the trademark in the title, which yeah, it bothers me. Uh, the board game, hilarious worms trademark. 
gameplay on your table. Grab your friends and unleash classic weapons, sneaky tactics, and all-out multiplayer mayhem. First off, why the trademarks here? Like, do we not understand this stuff is trademarked? Like, do we not know that? Like, I don't know. Hey, well, man, look. there's a brand guidelines. You got to follow the brand guidelines. Uh, so bad. Uh, and again, the the brand, like, I mean, Star Wars doesn't do that. And like, they have a no. brand. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All right. So if you are still interested, let me, let me explain. So Worms is all about these really cute little critters who want to blow up the other cute critters on the board. And it's got this really nice, fun kind of cartoony style. And they basically look like thumbs that are carrying like different wacky comical weapons on them. So bazookas, flamethrowers, bats, guns, grappling hooks, all kind of crazy stuff. So you get a team. Everyone gets a team of their particular color. And then there's a hex map that is interchangeable, kind of arrangeable and stuff like that. And your job is to blow up the other teams. So you place your worms out there. You have a you have a hand of cards. Those cards have different weapons. And those weapons are there to knock out the other players, of course, on, on the table. There's also crates, which will give you other weapons to add to your deck so that your worms can do other things. Despite the fact that the worms have a weapon in their hand doesn't mean that they're stuck with that weapon. You can play any card possible. You shoot the other worms or blow them up on this board. They fall down. You do it again, they get knocked out. And primarily, that's what you do. That's that's the game in a nutshell. Why you're backing this is, again, for two reasons. One, you have a really deep and meaningful nostalgia for the video game. Or, this is kind of cute and fun. And it would be cute and fun. Again, at least the length or what they say the length will be for this game is like, it's supposed to be somewhat quasi kind of party game-ish. I don't know if that's necessarily the case because there is not independent reviews on this. So it looks fun. It looks fine. It looks like there's a lot of wackiness and different characters here. Again, if you want the base level here, and this comes from Mantic Games, who've created a lot of games. So they're they're a real company. It's about $100, Anthony, for the base place. <laughs> Stupid. Okay? Now... If you want the Armageddon Pledge, which adds landscapes and some other stuff, then you're talking like some other plastic bits on the board. $150, my friend. $50 more for a bunch of like barrels and boxes that are unpainted. Uh, so, yeah, that's a thing that's happening on Kickstarter, my friends. Mantic Games. I don't know, like, There's again. There's not that much in here. What are they charging for? They're charging a lot of money for the ip trademark i guess of worms of worms of worms the tongue-in-cheek game that nobody ever took seriously worms a hundred percent okay like look they they've had a lot of ips they had umbrella academy they had hellboy i i don't they've had some i I don't know I, i i don't know like i saw it i was like cool i remember that was a kid Maybe I'll back it as a as a lark, as a joke, as fun, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be like fifty bucks because it's it's this very small IP that only a couple of people probably really played or engaged with and might actually want to get to the table. And then I saw a hundred and hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> That's like, gosh. I was like, why would you think that would be a thing? Uh, but if you are for some reason interested and or engaged in this kind of stuff, 
it's up on Kickstarter, and there's 11 days to go, and they have about 370 thousand dollars uh, for backers there. So some people have money. I don't know. Not me, but other people. <laughs> you know, this is, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a thing. Uh, it's, yeah, okay. All right, well, there are acquisition disorders for somebody out there. Um, if no other reason, these are fun campaigns to take a look at and just shake your head, I guess. I guess that's what we're doing that's here That's what today. we're doing. All right. Hey, everybody. We are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anthony, let's talk about the games that did at the table this week, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or, in fact, those games that are dreaded burn, and let's be honest, $100 worth of additional components are not going to do it any better. Anthony, what did you play this week? Okay, so I finally got a chance to play War of the Ring, the card game, Against the Shadow. Ooh, Epic journey a- here getting this to the table uh i this was the first we got it to gen con we went straight over to aries game booth i stood in line i got this expansion they sold out like three hours later happy i did and then my luggage got lost on the way home and one of the very few things that was not in the luggage when i finally got it back was my copy of war of the ring which Mm -hmm. i had brought with me to indianapolis so we could practice ahead of our tournament so it took a while and then i got a new copy from amazon (laughs) And finally got this to the table recently. Um, This is a weird expansion for a first expansion. 
Mm-hmm. Like, don't you agree? Like a one to two player bot expansion that replaces the shadow deck. But I personally, I was super fascinated, but I can imagine a lot of people having no interest in this whatsoever. So it's, it's a weird place to start. The only thing I would say, and when you and I talked about this early on is to play the game as it's meant to be played, you must have four players Mm -hmm. and it only plays four players like in its real form right so that is a hard number to get yeah 100 percent um it's it's such a weird thing so anyways let me let me explain what this is uh in the box you get not a lot for 30 (laughs) dollars you get replacements for the two shadow decks so okay. you get 60 cards that replace the two shadow decks. You get six new combination locations and pa- battlegrounds and paths that replace certain cards in those decks if you're playing with this expansion. And then you get the player aids. That is it. There mm-hmm. are 66 cards in this box, which is a big box. Not a full-size box, but a pretty big box. And it's like 30 bucks. So I, I think that's silly but I'm going to get a lot of play out of it. So I don't even think it's necessarily bad for me personally, but if you bought this separately, I could see you being like, what? Um, Mm -hmm. What this is though, is you are playing either solo or cooperatively one or two people against the shadow bot decks. Now, if you've ever played a game that uses bots, especially like with flow charts, because that's what it is. There's a flow chart. Sure. You're probably a little hesitant here. Um, They tend to be cumbersome time consuming confusing this is actually pretty straightforward the way that the the flowchart works i was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't too crazy so basically what it is is you look at all the cards available and you see can i use an action on any of them if the answer is no um you check you go down like the path to see if you should pass you almost never pass as the bot uh then you see if you can move something from your reserve into play. And then if not, you can play a card. Cards are laid out face down. And you just play them randomly from the bot's hand. And that's basically it. Like by the end of the first time I was playing it, I didn't have to look at the flowchart anymore. And it's kind of had it in my head. And the rules say that that's probably what will happen. So it was a nice, pleasant surprise how quickly and efficiently it kind of flowed. Uh, you can play it in just as many ways as the base game. So you can play solo in either using the trilogy or fellowship rules where you just play 1v1, or you can play solo playing the full rules where you play multi-hand, um, the two fellowship, the, the two free people sides versus the two bot sides, and the bot would run each of the two decks. I found that to be somewhat cumbersome. I don't like multi-handing in any mm-hmm. solo game. And that's honestly, it's designed for co-op play. So. I think that's where the co-op comes in. You have one person playing uh, the Hobbits, and then you have one person playing the Elves and the Dunedin, and they face off against the two shadow sides. Um, but overall, like ignoring that part, because I have not had a chance to play it fully co-op uh, with someone else, but I've played it the three ways that the game is designed, uh, which is the full version, the trilogy, and the co-op, or, and the Fellowship. I think it works really well. I had a lot of fun. I got deep into the game. I was working through my strategies, the same as if I was playing a human being. And the scores in all three of those matches were 
relatively close. Uh, there is a normal mode and a hard mode. The normal mode, basically, the bot draws fewer cards. And the reason for that is one of the main rule changes here is the bot does not have to spend a card to play a card. So whenever the bot plays a card, they just take a random card from their hand and plays it out. And that means that they get more card play than you might get. You have to get creative and think strategically about where you want to play and how you're going to play and what you're going to use to play it. They just they just get to play a card for free. Um, of course, it being a bot, it means a lot of cards end up in their reserve sometimes. And again, because it's a bot, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes the bot gets lucky in a way that wouldn't necessarily happen in a 1v1 game or a 2v2 game because they are everybody's thinking tactically. Um, sure. So you can't perfectly recreate the feeling of playing War of the Ring the Card game 2v2, which is still, like, in the last five years, one of my best gaming experiences. But you can get kind of close, which I think is admirable. Like, that's hard to do. Uh, for a game that's so complicated, has so many layers and so many nuances to it, it makes sense they had to completely rebalance the entirety of the shadow decks to make that work. And I'm glad they did that. And they didn't just say, like, here's some solo rules, and they, they're they terrible. Have fun. <laughs> like, they rebalanced all of it. They re-released it all as a standalone expansion, and it works. Um, does it completely replace it? Will it help you get better at the game? I don't maybe a little on the ladder because you'll learn the cards but you won't learn the shadow cards because they're different than if you played other people so um for me someone who loves worthering the card game who loves just being able to practice games i enjoy and it, it has fun playing solo experiences this is a buy um but there's a few caveats in there obviously that you can hear so you should enjoy playing solo experiences, co-op experiences. You should be aware that the game is different fundamentally and that for the first one or two times you play it, you're going to follow this flowchart pretty carefully for every turn. It'll slow you down a little bit. Um, but if none of that bothers you, the experience that I had was pretty fantastic. And I think this is a very fun, clever, well-implemented expansion. I'm very excited for the next expansion, though, because that will add content for all four players. Um, sure. However rare we get that to the table. So, weathering the card game against the shadow, that's a buy for me. Uh, just make sure it's a good fit for you and your playstyle before you pick it up. Yeah, I'm interested to see the, or play the co-op version too. Yeah. Yeah, next time we're together, I, man, we're going to do it. So then then the, the play, so again, you can play the two, the base game, but yeah, if you, you play the short version or is good, but it's a short version. You play the full version; it's a little wonky. Yeah, but then if you play the four-player, but so now this allows you to play a real two-player, which might be a sweet spot. I'm looking forward to playing that. Yeah, and one of the one of the most interesting things it does is you can't win by ten. Okay. So the game is it's been rebalanced a little bit, so mm -hmm. it can swing a little bit harder one way or the other, and you don't end the game when it swings too hard in one direction. So all three games I played ended within three points, both sides, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And so, but in all three of those games, I think there was a point at which one side was winning by 10. So mm. I think it's probably just like the side effect of the balancing act that sure. Ian Brody went through here. Um, I don't know that that would work 
with live players, but something that in this works pretty well. And I would really like to see how it plays out in co-op. And then the, just, just for a second, cause I know we got a chance to look at the next expansion that's coming out. What is that supposed to do? That's not a co-op. That's more players. I know it's more factions, right? Uh, so the new expansion is two new factions, mm-hmm. um, which off the top of my head, I can't remember what exactly what they are. The ruffians, there's some bad, some bad dudes. Right. Yeah. So it's two to six players now. Fire and Swords is the name of the mm-hmm. new expansion, and yeah, it brings in the ruffians and cannot remember the the free people it, side. It's the Dane. Is it Dane and Dane's crew, or is it? It might be. Yeah. Yeah. It just bring it's it's more players then. So yeah. yeah. They're it's go- two to six. Which is weird that they like you said that they didn't go with the two to six and then go to the co-op kind of solo. Yeah. One of the first questions on board game geek is, will this expansion be compatible with the next one that exactly. comes out in the, in the spring? There's no answer yet. So I don't know. <laughs> and we didn't think to ask that when we met Ian Brody. Um, but I'll be interested to know. We will ask Ian Brody. Yeah. I, what I would hope they would do is something like what Imperial settlers did is every new expansion, they would throw two or three cards into the deck with the expansion mm-hmm. it's and that made it compatible with the early expansions sure nice I'm looking forward to it well one of the other big games from gen con 2023 was sea salt and paper this was a very small box card game it was two to four players and really what drew everyone's interest was the amazing origami artwork that was photographed for the cards. This game sold out. It was kind of, it was one of the big games. And again, it was kind of surprising because considering all the other big games that were at the convention, this is a small box game that fits in your hand. Again, great artwork, big fan of the artwork, but does it play well? Now, the game itself it doesn't it's it's an abstract game like it's it's just an abstract game with great artwork uh again the the description here is a few delicate folded papers and a whole marine universe comes to life that's that's as much flavor text or description as you're going to get it's primarily just a bunch of cards so yeah <laughs> you can play this 2 to 4 i will say right off the bat i think it plays best at 2 and i'll explain why the game really comes down to, uh, I would say, like, a four different types of cards. And I'll explain why that actually is it for. We'll, we'll say. So, first up, you on your turn, there's a deck of cards. And you will either draw two cards from the face-down deck, select one, and then put the other one on, on one of the two discard piles. And then you put that into your hand. Or you could take one of the two discard cards, one of the cards on the discard piles, choose one of the two, and then put that in your hand. Now, obviously, if you're taking from the discard, people know what you're doing. Why does that matter? Well, that's the only action you're taking throughout the game, which is taking cards and playing cards. Now, the only cards that you will be playing is uh, duo cards. Now, duo cards are cards types. Um, there's crabs, there's boats, there's fish, and then there's this really interesting combo of a swimmer and a shark. If you got this, this, the, the pair, the duo pair, you place them both cards down in front of you, 
and then you do the effect. So for the crab card, you get to choose through the discard piles. All right, crabs are scavengers. They get through the go through the discard. That's a fairly helpful card, duo card, because that effect is is going to allow you to do some set collection, which I'll talk about in a second. The boats allow you to take an extra turn immediately. Awesome. The fish cards let you take the top card of the deck and put it in your hand. Awesome. The combo of the swimmer and the shark lets you take a card from the opponent's hand. Or if there's multiple opponents, you get to choose who you're going to take that from. Beyond that, everything else that happens in the game happens behind your own hand that no one gets to see. You're playing those duos out. They're worth one point each. This is a point game. So again, depending on the number of players that are in the game, whoever hits that point total or goes beyond it wins the game. So that's pretty much straight up. Now the rest of the cards, and there's some interesting cards. There's mermaid cards. It looks like Ariel. <laughs> it just it just <laughs> looks like Ariel, right? Uh, so that origami Ariel, she's interesting because she will score you one point for the most color cards that you have. So no matter what type they are, there's several colors in the game. I will say that this game does a great job of being colorblind friendly because there are symbols on the card and there is a separate card that helps people who are colorblind friendly, say colorblind friendly, um, who have challenges with their sight to be able to determine what symbols are matching what colors. So you get a point based on the mermaids. The mermaids also do something really crazy, which reminds me of Glory to Rome. If you get four of them and you play all four, which you would, you automatically win the game. <laughs> okay. But no one's going to do that because the mermaid cards are the most valuable cards in the game. Beyond that, there's a set collection. There's shells, there's octopi, there's penguins, and there's sailors. Each of these have different set collection scoring. Uh, the shells are the least, then the octopi, and then the penguins, and then finally the sailors. So the number of cards that are out there that are available kind of stretches out how many points you could score. So the smaller selections like the penguins and the sailors are going to score you the most points for the least amount of cards, but the shells are going to score you the most. But the question is, do you have enough time to score all those shells? Well, that's the challenge here. Finally, there are multiplier cards. There's one for ships, there's one for fish, penguin, and for sailors. They're just going to score you additional points for having those cards in your hand. The more rare the particular type of symbol on the card, the more the multiplier is going to benefit you. Now, here's the crux of the game. This is where you have to really pay attention. As you're playing cards, the duo cards out, you're scoring points but you're also scoring points in your hand, again, based upon those collector cards, the mermaid cards, and the multipliers. When you personally hit seven points, you have an opportunity to continue with the game, or you could say stop. If you say stop, the round comes to an end, and all players reveal their hands, and you score the points. That's that's pretty much it. So everyone scores the points. So you might say, I have, I feel like I have a couple more points than my opponent. I might want to score my points here now. So maybe it's a difference of like two or three points, but you stop and you score the points. If you say last chance, then everyone gets to take one more round to collect 
I guess, I guess an additional card or such. But once you say last chance, no one can steal cards from your hand. So the shark swimmer combo doesn't becomes moot at that point, but it allow it's kind of like a press your luck situation and everyone gets to play one more turn and then you reveal your hands. If you, if you're the person says last chance and you have the most points, you in additional get to score your colors on your card. So you get to take basically what is a mermaid bonus and you get to score those points as well. If you lose and someone else had more points than you, guess what? <laughs> you don't get to you don't get to score the the points on your cards. You get just to score the color bonus, but everyone else gets to score the points on their cards. So, there's a press your luck situation you're scoring additional color bonus or not scoring your points. That is the most difficult thing to wrap your brain around because you might want to say, I feel like I have just enough points and I want to get out. Or I might want to really gamble because I have a really good hand of cards and I have a lot of cards of the same color, plus I have a lot of points, I'm going to gamble here. That's a possibility. So because any player who hits seven has the opportunity to stop the game immediately, the round immediately, or push his luck a little bit more, the set collection cards become a lot more difficult to kind of engage with because you don't, you may not have the time. The gameplay is incredibly fast because, again, almost always you're going to stop the game at your 7 plus at that point or press your luck a little bit. Pressing your luck doesn't happen as much as you think because throughout the game, if another player is not taking discards that are face up, you have almost no idea what they're what they're holding on to beyond what the duo cards are in front of them. So I'm taking cards, I'm taking cards, I take cards. You have no idea. Yeah, you could steal a card, maybe, but I don't know if you have two or three mermaids. I don't know if you have a bunch of sailors or a bunch of penguins. I don't know. So it's a fun little card game, and that's all it is. It's great. The artwork is fantastic. I like it. It's definitely a play. That's a lot of rules for a little card game, man. Yeah, that little press your luck slash end is kind of of a weird thing. Otherwise, it would just be a normal game that you would play to a certain number of turns and show your cards and whoever scores points, score points. I don't know. That's what they did. They did a thing. It's a thing. It's It's a good... It's fine. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't find the press your luck element necessarily fun because I never got I, I there's no way to track what someone else is doing if they're not taking discards true yeah I don't know it looks yeah. cute I, w- I would try it and it's not crazy expensive like everything no. else we talked about today so <laughs> um, it's rich. yeah you yeah you could pick this up for I guess give or take 10 to 15 bucks so not bad yeah no I do recommend it it is a play you could buy it Again, the artwork. Again, if you buy this, it's because the origami artwork is is really fun and outstanding. So, yeah. and I think there'll probably be expansions to this at some point. But yeah, no, it's definitely a play. Uh, if it's your thing, like you said, because of the price, certainly a buy. It was a Spiritus recommendation. So for 2023. So yeah, good stuff. Cool. All right, so that's everything that hit our table this week, Anthony. Let's get on to our feature review. Our feature review this week, of course, the most popular and yet defunct. TCGs, CCGs, the card games that were going to bring in all the money, that were going to pay for your kid's college fund, and then somehow 
just fell flat. There's a lot of them. How did that happen? Anthony, take us away. All right. So uh, we didn't go through all of them, all of them, because there's like 80. Oh, there's more than that, right? There's yeah. Just, it's, it's crazy. Every company on the planet has tried to do this <laughs> at some point. And two companies in particular just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. Uh, so we're going to touch on a few of them that we personally have connections to or that were really hyped and fell apart or that represent IPs that just have not been able to get it going and keep it going. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with a fun one, though, because this is one we played each other on five years sure. ago at Gen Con. Um, where it launched Munchkin collectible card game. So sure. this was interesting for two reasons. One Munchkin. Yes. Fun artwork. Uh, and two, it was designed by Eric Lang with Kevin Wilson. So yep. pretty solid design team, respectable IP behind it. And yet it died almost immediately within a year. It was dead. Yeah. It was, it, uh, again, I will, I'm raising my hand. You can't see it. <laughs> I'm that person that will raise their hand and, and will say that again, mostly because of the artwork, but also because I do appreciate a fun board game or card game. Cause we don't have a lot of those out there just to be honest with you. We don't. So Munchkin has always been a fun collectible game hobby of mine. So when they came out with the CCG here, I was like, Oh, I can do this. This is a lot of fun. And what was interesting about this game was there was a bluff mechanic to it. So you could actually say that you're playing a card of a certain value, and then they could challenge you on that. So this was good. It, it had all the classes. It had all the crazy cards. It had the boosters. We played it at release time. I got a bunch of it. But really, right now, at this point, you could buy a huge booster gravity drop for, like, 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> which is which I've thought about because I like the artwork and the collectability of it. Right. But even I've been like, Ugh, 10 bucks is a lot for a gravity box for a game <laughs> that I will never play. Like, oh, that's a cool card. Oh, I get that. I get that. All right. <laughs> I, I've, I've chosen poorly in my life. I'm fine with that. But... Uh, it's still out there and available. I, again, the bluff mechanic was kind of okay slash cool. I, I I don't know. Steve Jackson Games does a lot of good things good. I don't know why. I, I guess the organized play just did, never came together for this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could have a whole separate episode and we'd probably need to bring on a guest. <laughs> but, like, what makes a TCG successful? And sure. I feel like it's a very specific blend of ingredients. You can't just focus on one. You can't just focus on, you know, collectability. You can't just focus on organized play. You can't just focus on IP. It has to be this very particular mix and a particular balance and temperature and everything. And it's really hard to get right. Um, as witnessed by the fact that there's only like eight or nine TCGs going at any point in time. And most of them are dead. Like in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and I and I think if if I remember correctly, there was also problems and printing errors in their first run. Yeah, that's not so good. that caused a lot of issues that obviously people who are playing the game for the game really did not like because <laughs> they have to play that game. Yeah, yeah, you do. 
He wanted to look good. <laughs> it's true. So. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to dive into, and the next few of these are IPs. Um, the, the vast majority of these are IPs, actually, because these are the ones that people are most excited about. And it's most relevant to what's going on right now in the world with the TCGs that people are most excited about. So the t- 2001 release of Harry Potter trading card game uh, was, people were pretty excited about it. It was backed by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, like, and here's the thing. Wizards of the Coast released a bunch of different TCGs and CCGs from like 1995 to like 2005, 2010 ish before everything took off and magic just became so big. They didn't have to worry about like diversifying. Um, but this was one that feels like it should have worked. Mm-hmm. It came out in 2001, right before that first movie. And after that first book, the first, the first release and then the first three expansions all related to the first book. And then the last expansion before they canceled it related to the second book, they could have done like 50 expansions before they ran out of books. Sure. And then they could have just done them all over again. And people, I feel like if they had launched this five years later, it would have worked. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not immediately clear why it failed so much as wizards of the coast decided to stop doing it. So whatever goals they set financially, this game did not hit those goals. Uh, It ran for a little less than three years, which is pretty short in general for any TCG. Um, There's certainly been shorter ones, but in in terms of like the hype that was around it, it died pretty fast. Um, I think part of the problem here, like editorializing, is when you launch a TCG, especially in the 2000s, you need a core audience. And if that core audience audience is young, you need an older audience who can support them. So Harry Potter was still relatively new in 2001. Like the books have been around for like five years. You needed the adults to be in on it too, and they were not yet. Now, you could do this now, and it would be super successful, minus the whole J.K. Rowling being potentially a terrible person. <laughs> uh, probably holding it back. So maybe you could have done this in like 2012 before people sure. realized that. Um, so yeah, this is one that seems like it should have worked, and maybe it was just bad timing. Yeah, I mean, again, this this has the books and the, and the Harry Potter houses and the spells and the characters. I mean, this is just, it's built for CCG. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's obviously there must've been some internal shenanigans or again, sometimes with wizards of the coast or with some other companies, like if it doesn't make a billion dollars, they don't want to invest any more money into it. Sure. So like you said, I think certainly the adult population not being on board yet, but now, you know, everybody over the last, I mean, again, give or take scandals and everything else that's happened over the last couple of years, people sort themselves into hats and houses <laughs> with the hat and stuff like that. Like I can't, it's, it's hard to believe this didn't, this didn't stick around or didn't get revived at some point. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. Like, and Harry Potter media keep coming out. Yes. The video it's... game was supposedly very good. And they're going to have a TV series. I don't know if it's on HBO Max, I think. Yeah, Max. Yeah. So, so. yeah, it's 
We'll see. Maybe. Jeez. <laughs> with with the craziness around Locana, I could easily see companies being like, well, maybe. Maybe we could just make this work. Sure. Um, all right. Next up, we're going to get into a series of games that were released by Decipher. So Decipher being kind of like there was Wizards of the Coast with Magic and then all the games they tried to do after that. And then Decipher was actually really big and a huge competitor to Wizards all through mm-hmm. the 90s from like 95 on. Um, up through like 2007. So this one was released in 2003, probably the least successful of the bunch. Beyblade trading card game. Uh, only had one set. Uh, it's based on the Beyblade anime series, but Beyblade was very popular for like two years in those early 2000s, and people were really hyped about this game when it came out. Do you remember Beyblade? I do. Uh, and I, I did not know they made a CCG about it, but... Yeah, no, it was pretty popular for like that five minutes that it was out there in the world. It was a thing. Yeah, this game best represents like that kind of anxiety we all get when a new CCG comes out. We're like, is this going to be big? Are people going to be excited about this? (laughs) Should I buy all these cards? And then six months later, if you did buy them all, you're like, oh, man, that was a waste of money. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it was certainly after the time of like people realizing magic is worth money. So why again, right? Like it was backed, it was supported. So why wouldn't this make money and support? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early two thousands, especially. There's a lot of yeah. These. Uh, all right. Next up, we have the Middle Earth collectible card game. This was released not by uh, Decipher, which we'll get to in a second, but by um, Ice. In, okay. Uh, Iron Crown Enterprises in late nineteen ninety five. This came out just a couple years after Magic. Uh, and it seems like it was driven by that initial success sure. of magic, but this is before the movies, like way before the movies. So this was like early, this is like <clears throat> building on that, like seventies and eighties nostalgia, Gen X people who read, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings in high school hid in the back corner of the library. And it was generally successful. It won two Origins Awards. Oh, um, it was yeah. around for five years. Yeah, people really liked it. The reason it died is because Ice lost the license. Ooh, which happens a lot with Lord of the Rings stuff. That license sure. bounces around a lot. So I can ima- yeah, I can imagine it doing again. This is a timing issue more than anything else, too. Yeah, hundred percent. This is this is a game that I think people generally liked when it was around but it just yeah it the license was short-lived the game didn't live long enough to like build if you look at the cards they look like magic cards like those early magic cards it's very very close so and you would not be wrong to think that this was made by wizards but it wasn't so it's just like this is what ccgs look like right like now you're just ripping off their artwork Um, hey so what so what happened to Lord of the Rings? Did they ever get another CCG by chance? They did. Yeah. Oh my, get out of here. Yeah, so <laughs> uh four th- two years later, two years later, Decipher picked up the license and they released Lord of the Rings trading card game. Uh, what? Was, right? <laughs> and this came out a month before Fellowship hit the theaters. Sure. So the first couple sets were just based explicitly on the uh the movies so this one ran for seven years was also quite successful 
It also won Origins Awards for Best Trading Card Game. Sure. Um, and people were generally very happy with it. Mm-hmm. So that it's it's just that same story over and over again of where the game ended because they lost the license. Yes. <laughs> now, there's some discussion about why they lost the license. Um, part of that could be that Decipher itself was kind of going under at that point, and they just couldn't mm. afford to renew it. They chose not to renew it. It's not really clear why, but that's, again, that's what happened. The license expired. They could not keep producing cards. Um, there's a lot of content, though. So over the course of the game, they released 19 sets. Uh, and if, if you're not familiar with TCG's set releases, they're usually like three to four a year. So 19 sounds like a lot, but that's six or seven years worth of content. Um, but again, another really solid game with a lot of engaged, uh, organized play around it. And people were, uh, like a lot of these things, surprised when it died. Yeah. And again, it's coming back. It's another thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of coming back in the sense that it's now with the third company and that Wizards of the Coast got the license to use with Magic. Sure. Which is ironic because that first set was uh, from Ice was pretty just like a Magic clone. <laughs> so yeah. now we have an actual Magic set of Lord of the Rings with Tales from the Beyond. And again, it's crazy because obviously it's making all the money. Everyone loves it. It's playing great. So a, the difference of a company in a couple of years, it's just radical. Just yeah. radical. Yeah. And again, no. 2.6 million for uh, Post Malone, you know? Yeah, so much money for that one green card. Oh, man. Uh, so that's one IP. Uh, the next IP that's kind of bounced around a lot, and this one's bouncing around a whole lot and is about to have a fourth, is Star Wars. There have been three collectible card games for Star Wars. There's a fourth one coming out next year uh, from Fantasy Flight, which we did not have a chance to demo at Gen Con, but we saw it there. And each of these games was successful for a short period of time. Um, two of them I've played quite extensively. The first is the Star Wars customizable card game from Decipher. This came out in 95. Uh, I was obsessed with this game when I was in middle school, in high school, played constantly, had a ton of content for it. And it made, basically it made its way through uh, the original trilogy, Shadows of the Empire and Phantom Menace in terms of content. And that's sure. when it died in 2001. Yeah. These cards were like, I would hunt them down. We would find places <laughs> that were selling them. They were always sold out. It was incredible. We had a local card store at one point and they were selling off the cards, like wow. all their singles. So we went up there and bought a bunch of really rare cards for $3 a piece. Crazy. I got an Obi-Wan and a Boba Fett and a Luke Skywalker for three bucks a piece. Um, I later sold my cards when I was in college for Oof. pizza money, which because <laughs> the game was dead and they weren't worth anything. Yeah. And now they're worth more because all of the millennials that are now in their thirties coming on forties are like, I want those cards back. So, That's right. Um, it's the it's the Bitcoin of TCGs. TCGs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this game was fine. Like I've gone back and played it a little bit online. It's it's actually not that good of a game, but I mean it's a fine game. There's nothing wrong with it. But compared to later releases, mm -hmm. it it was functional. Um, but it was the first one, and it just used movie artwork. It didn't. You have there wasn't drawings or anything. It was just stills, but that made it all the better. 
Love that. Yeah, we we you and I played the TCG, right? The two player. We played the third one on this list that okay. we're gonna get to. Woof. Um, all right, I'll let you get to that. Yeah. That's, so the the second all, one they all blur together. I, there's a lot. So the second one was Wizards of the Coast once again trying to expand their magic verse. Um, they launched Star Wars: The Trading Card Game in 2002 when they got the license after Decipher lost the license, and it lasted for three years. So again, a, not quite as long as Decipher. They probably released about as much content as Decipher because they released it much faster. Um, they did get the rest of the prequels in there because they were running these during the prequel era. So we got, and they just named their sets after the movies for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, game of the three, I think it's probably the least well regarded. <laughs> like it was fine, um, but it didn't have a lot of development behind it. I think the development team behind it, like it was designed by Richard Garfield too, which is crazy. It's he he designed a bunch of these games, but. It, it just didn't really set itself apart the way that the other two games did. The last one, uh, at least until the next one, Star Wars <laughs> Unlimited, is Star Wars Destiny, which is a collectible yes. Dyson card game that was released in 2016, and it lasted for four years. This game died in 2020. Uh, and I it's hard to know if it died because of COVID or if they just used that as an excuse, but it died during covid effectively the last set came out in early 2020 and they basically killed it for dead at the end of 2020 this is the last time i went in on anything collectible from fantasy flight because they just kept killing stuff and i was just like can't do it although as we've learned a lot of companies kill stuff um this game was really good it had i think five total sets so not nearly as many as some other games especially the, the number of years it was around um but you had a combination of dice, you roll the dice, and the cards will tell you what the dice can do. And it was just a very dynamic, tactical game. Very clever. It seemed like something they could take and put onto other IPs, but by that point, Fantasy Flight was not doing anything else in other than like Arkham and Marvel Champions. Um, so we have three pretty good games, a Richard Garfield game in there, the OG Decipher game, Destiny, and they're all super dead for Star Wars. Oof. I have some of the TCG and I do have some of the CCG originals somewhere, Ooh. somewhere, somewhere. Man, I would I would kill to get some of those original CCG cards again. I sold all my cards to a friend and mm-hmm. there's no way he's giving them back to me now. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, time. <laughs> I know. Just... <laughs> I would never play that game again either. I just want them for nostalgia. That's it. No, of course. Uh, another game kind of in the same era. Uh, Star Trek customizable card game. Decipher start came out in 94. It's actually older than Star Wars and lasted longer than Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I had a few of these. Did you ever buy any of these? I know you're a big Star Trek guy. I'm a big Star Trek fan. I don't remember buying these. I, I don't know why it would escape me, but I don't remember it, honestly. I don't. Just skipped. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a funny thing. Like this. So the, the second edition released in 2002, and then they had 14 releases. Um, the first edition was 1994, and they had, I think, almost 25 releases. So there's a lot of content for this game. I don't think it's as fondly remembered as sure. the Decipher Star Wars game. 
But I remember buying some cards because I just I wanted a John Luke Picard Aww. something. <laughs> <laughs> and you could get it in the starter deck, so I did. Uh but yeah, it's it's it was definitely popular for a long time. Uh all right, just a couple more here. Uh two more that everybody will remember. First we have Netrunner, which was mm-hmm. another Wizards of the Coast attempt in nineteen ninety six. Um also designed by Richard Garfield. Also died pretty quickly in in two thousand one. Um, this one came back with Android Netrunner in a different format. It wasn't a CCG, but it used a lot of the same ideas, right? You have the runner versus the corporation, mm-hmm. uh, and the LCG that Fantasy Flight released for several years is one of the best games of all time. Brilliant mm-hmm. game. It takes the core ideas of Richard Garfield's design and makes it into a LCG instead of like collectible card game which is obviously expensive and that also eventually died because wizards wanted the license back and then they decided not to do anything with it which is frustrating um so i think it it's listed in uh it's listed as saying they filed the trademark application in june 2021 and in february 2022 they said never mind oof and abandoned the application oof (laughs) yeah Wizards of the Coast, man. <laughs> That's a company. That's a company that does stuff. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we get some more Netrunner content eventually, but Wizards is just kind of sitting on the IP at this moment. Yeah. Which is lame because it was good both times. True, uh, true. Last one on the list. We have World of Warcraft trading card game. Um, this is from Ep- Upper Deck and it released in 2006 couple years after the game came out and it ran for seven years so it made it up till 2013 which is pretty solid um one of the reasons this probably died is because hearthstone came out the following year Hmm. Uh, the license was not renewed with upper deck and then almost not a little less than a year later hearthstone was released so this is probably just Blizzard being like, we're going to do it ourselves. We'll get all the money. We don't have to produce anything physically. Yes. So go away. <laughs> um, uh, but the game was very successful. There's a lot of, you know, open play around it. And, you know, it's the perfect world for it. Uh, just because there's so much content and so much lore. And the, the cards were kind of ugly. But, you know, all the cards were kind of ugly back then. Yeah. Again, I think this is another one which was like, I remember seeing it, but again, not playing it so much. And again, back in the day, like you mentioned too, like everything's going online, everything's going to be digital. And you're just like, sure, because of the future. And then yeah. people are like, no, I actually like to have physical things, you know, just. Yeah. You can play Loracana online, but people yes. are still paying $300 for cards. That's what? So why not? 100, 100%. So. Yep, and there's conversations about having cards with almost like weird kind of NFTs connected to it. There's some kind of early discussions about so you could kind of sell your cards online and people could print out their own versions of the card. So you get to keep the card, but you don't own the card anymore for competition play. And I'm just like, I don't, I know, like creating a better secondary market is not what I need. (laughs) Like, that's not a thing i just want to play the game yeah Uh, Yeah. super gross i hate that don't do that (laughs) please don't do that if you're publishing these that's gross no absolutely so 
It's a graveyard, man. It's a, it's a graveyard. It is a graveyard. It takes a lot of money to make these games. It takes even more money to run them. And if you don't make 500 million percent back, whatever it is you're looking for, then they fail pretty quickly. But been a lot of them and a lot of people have a lot of these cards. And a lot of nostalgia. Yeah, and I think I think for a lot, like I remember going on eBay at some point way back in the day and like, oh, there's a Babylon 5 CCG. And I'm like, that's fantastic. In my whole life, I've never seen this game anywhere except on ebay so like they produced it i don't know who played it like again it might have just been collectors because there was not organized play out there in the world and it's still going for crazy money because again collectors as far as that's concerned but the thing that's always pushed back and it might have been the same thing with star trek is when you look at the ccg cards the amount of text and you know like this but this but this and this and just like there's your picture and then like a legal document of different things that it does and i'm just like no it's <laughs> just like <laughs> every card can't have a can't have like several paragraphs you know i just i can't i can't play games like that i'm sorry just can't do it i don't like card games should not have fine print and all these card games again the lesser of the card games have these like extensive fine print and like dictionary level action words on them and i just can't do it so i would love to do it but i can't (laughs) so i don't know that's the thing so hopefully all of you out there if you did collect these you got a chance to play them or maybe you just collect them because they're fun to collect because they're great ips but again companies let's just let's just leave it out there but again also lord of the rings came back so maybe other things i don't know i mean you never know. Star Wars is coming back next year. It'll fail in three years. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and then, of course, Lurkana, friends. Lurkana. So, I don't know. Enjoy your schadenfreude, I, I guess. Like, watch the other <laughs> things burn, because eventually they could... I, and again, I think the other thing we should mention, too, Anthony, is, like, if you're not into these CCGs, right? The living card games are a little different, but if you're not into CCGs, like, you must have a place to play these. Yeah. And there are only so many friendly local game stores that still that are still out there in the world. So it's harder to get to play these games out there. And Magic and Pokemon and somewhat Yu-Gi-Oh, they dominate those Friday nights and those Saturdays and everything else. So like where does even another card game, even if it's Larkana, find space? in a game store to be played when everything else is being played all the time. Yeah. I mean, Fle- flesh and blood is a new game that's out there. We have some friends that play a lot of it and it's finding some hard, it's, it's having some hard times finding spots to be played. And if you don't see it in a game store and you don't see it being played by people, forget conventions, conventions are anomaly, right? Like people go to conventions to play, you know, collectible card games. Like that's a whole other thing. You got to have a local game store. There's very few or a game cafe. Very few. And there has to be times for the new card games to find oxygen. And I don't think there is. I don't know where you play a new one. I don't care how good it is. I think Larkana is going to be the interesting kind of bellwether of this. Like, is it going to be able to be played? Collected, that's, yes. But will be played? That's the big question. If it can't be played, it's it's going to die. Inevitably. Because, again, there's only so much collectors can do to keep something up. And the company's going to have to invest in the meta to kind of like update and change things as time goes on. And collectors don't care about that. They don't care. 
So, organized play, people. It's it's been the the bane of every publisher's existence. I know that we know that because we've tried it, <laughs> like like this like the X Wing Miniatures game. A lot of those organized play, Fantasy Flight and stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff out there, people. So. Enjoy your CCGs, enjoy your TCGs, enjoy your LCGs, um, and but just be careful out there. That's all we're saying. Be careful, because it happens. But, yeah, good times. Until next time, Anthony, as always, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at Friday Night Magic, because that's what happens out there in the world. That's the only one. That's the only one, people. Just get on board. We have no choice. <laughs> the rest will die. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.